You're about to listen to an Audible original. Immersive audio entertainment like you've never heard before. Discover comedies from some of your favorite stars. Plus more genres you love. All inside the Audible app. But for now, enjoy the ride. The following contains language that some may find offensive. I didn't want to buy this dress. <laughs> the devil made me buy this Before Tyler Perry's Medea. Before Martin Lawrence's Shanene, before Eddie Murphy's Rasputia, there was Flip Wilson as Geraldine. I got some cash and I know I'm clean. Watch out, Trinidad, here's Geraldine. To see her walk out and swing her hips and the flip of the wig and just looking at it was something to behold. Wilson defied all odds to become TV's first black superstar, captivating audiences with his unique brand of storytelling and transforming himself into unforgettable characters. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the church of what's happening now. We don't tell it like it used to be or how it's going to be in the future. We talk about what's happening now. He won over the masses, appealing to audiences old and young, black and white. Oh my God, Flip Wilson was one of the funniest human beings, I think, that has walked this earth. They're sitting in Las Vegas, yeah. and I'm going to put a stop to it. Yeah. Yeah. If I can't stop it, at least I'm going to slow it down. Yeah. It felt like he was personally speaking to me and my family. He looked like us and he sounded like us. He was the first black comedian ever to host his own variety show. The name is Miss Jones, Geraldine Jones. <laughs> he was must-see TV in color. Everybody watched him all across the country, all different kinds of people from all walks of life. He crossed cultures and crossed color lines, and his humor was hilarious to everybody. He proved to legions of black entertainers that they could make their dreams into reality while staying true to who they are. Seeing Flip Wilson on TV as a young man just kind of somewhere seeded the idea that I can be this or do this one day myself. I'm J.B. Smooth, and this is Funny My Way, Flip Wilson. Me sitting next to Ray Charles, I'm so excited. Give me a hand, Ray, feel my heart. Ah, uh, that's yeah. quite a beat there. <laughs> I knew you would like that. Uh, that's, that's, In the 1960s and 70s, black comics were gaining notoriety by leaning into hot-button issues. Politics, sexuality, and most of all, race. But Flip Wilson believed comedy was colorblind. He wanted to bring people together, uniting the world through the power of laughter. One of the things Flip Wilson did is let you know that he was there to entertain. Actor and comedian D.L. Hughley. He let America know that black people were funny and warm, intelligent and thoughtful. That they were people that you could relate to, listen to, talk to, hear. Author and filmmaker Nelson George. He followed in the mold of Cosby's crossover success in that he was very, very funny, accessible, relatable, had a great sense of humanity. There was a gentleness to his, I find, to his personality that translated really, really well across the board. The 
December 8, 1933, Clearo Wilson Jr. is born the 10th child of a janitor and a housewife in Jersey City, New Jersey, across the Hudson River from the Big Apple and next door to the city of Hoboken. Author, poet, and human rights activist, Kevin Powell. I mean, I was born and raised in Jersey City, New Jersey in the late 1960s, and all I kept hearing about was Flip Wilson, Flip Wilson, Flip Wilson, because he was born and raised there as well. We came from the same inner-city environment. And, you know, a lot of people don't make it out of, out of that environment. And so I just heard these stories about Flip Wilson, even as a kid, how he was very funny. He was imitating people. He could sing. He could dance. He could act. He was a clown. He was all that kind of stuff. Born during the Great Depression, Clearo learns from a young age that laughter can be a light in the darkness. He once told the New York Times, we were so poor, even the poorest looked down on us. Throughout the episode, you'll hear excerpts from Kevin Cook's biography, Flip, the inside story of TV's first black superstar. An actor is reading from it as Flip himself. Here he talks about feeling the sting of rejection as a young boy when he falls for a girl on his block. Her name is Geraldine. The skin was so black, it was almost blue. I asked her to be my girlfriend, but she said no because I was a ragamuffin. That hurt. When Clearo Jr. turns eight, he's in for the hardest year of his young life. I was eight when my mother left home with another man. I just remember walking in the house and all the furniture was gone. It was just empty, like somebody had robbed us, except my mother had taken it, taken all the furniture and my little baby brother with her. When my father went to the bank, he discovered that she presented the bank with his fake death certificate and withdrawn all the money in the account. We were broke. Flip and the rest of his family are left with deep, lasting scars. Here's his nephew, Rashawn Khan. He had those moments of, I guess you could call it, he felt abandoned. And maybe it was true for him. The family unit was broken up and scattered. They were told different things because they were all they were kids. So for a long time, he carried that grudge thinking that his mother didn't want him. With their father out of work and unable to provide, the remaining 11 Wilson children are left to fend for themselves. Flip is taken by his older sister, Eleanor, and her family. But it's not exactly what you would call a home. They always ate first. I had to wait. I got what their kids didn't eat, and they resented me being there. So they'd slop their food around and play with it, just to show me who was who. Flip Wilson obviously had had a lot of negative things that had happened to him, darker things. Every experience you have, it gives you something. Most times it gives you something you could use and something you want to get rid of. And I think he found a way to make a beautiful tapestry out of all the things he'd been through. Hungry for approval, Clearo Jr. seeks out the spotlight. At eight years old, he sets his sights on a role in a school play about Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross. I would have played anything, so I begged my teacher, Mrs. Davis, to give me a part. Clearo convinces his teacher to give him a small part in the play, portraying a wounded soldier. But fate has other plans. Part of Clara was being played by a little girl, but on the night of the show in the packed school auditorium, she got stage fright, refused to walk out on the stage. Our teacher, Ms. Davis, panicked, but I told her, I can do it, Ms. Davis. I can do it. I can play her part. 
I had memorized all of the Clara's character's lines during rehearsals. I was ready. Mrs. Davis found a blonde wig, put it on my head along with Clara's white smock, bonnet, and shoes, and that night, I became Clara Barton. Black Clara Barton. The audience went crazy. That night, I made my stage debut playing a white girl. Comedian Margaret Cho. Flip Wilson's debut was as Claire Barton, which I think is so funny, but it also speaks to his ingenuity in like looking to be seen. Well, I can look to be seen as this white woman character, which I think is so adorable and just speaks to his own kind of bravery and comfort in playing all these different roles. For the first time in his life, Flip feels accepted, valued, but his troubles are far from over. Someone in the neighborhood files a complaint that he and his siblings are running wild in the streets. And Flip is placed in a foster home. I began wetting my bed and getting whippings as a result. I couldn't take it. So I ran away eight times in one year. But the social workers kept sending me to foster home after foster home. Finally, the state just gave up on me and assigned me to a reform school in Jamesburg, New Jersey, 40 miles southwest of Jersey City. I was eight and a half. D.L. Hughley says Flip developed a talent for turning personal trauma into comedy gold. In order to have the kind of experiences and to be expansive, as expansive as he was, you have to feed the machine. And you can't write some of the things. They have to truly be rooted in something. And you can see in terms of the richness he bought, in terms of his characters, his monologues, the way that he did things, that it was informed. At 16, Flip lies about his age and enlists in the Air Force. He bounces from base to base, Texas to California to Guam. Everywhere he goes, he finds he can always make his fellow troops laugh. They cheered, and an airman in a hooting crowd shouted, He flippeth his lid. The nickname sticks, and Cleroy Wilson Jr. becomes Flip Wilson. He keeps performing in the military until he received an honorable discharge in 1954. But now Flip's got the comedy bug, and he wants to pursue it, so he goes out west to San Francisco. The best he can get is a job as a bellhop at the Manor Plaza Hotel in San Francisco's Fillmore District, nicknamed the Harlem of the West. Flip knows he can talk his way into almost anything, so he convinces his boss to let him perform at the hotel's nightclub between musical acts. It's not long before Flip becomes a regular, performing a 15-minute set six nights a week. He learns how to read an audience, and he learns how to relate to them. Pretty soon, I'm observing the crowd, looking out the corner of my eye at different people, wondering why one guy's laughing and the person next to him isn't. So that's when I figured something out. It wasn't about them. It was about me. Theo Hewley says Flip's ability to connect with the audience was a kind of magic. It's that gravitation. He pulls you in, he pulls you in his orbit. Richard Pryor said Flip Wilson was the only entertainer he ever knew, that when the audience uh, gets there, they hope he likes them. While working at the manor, Flip meets touring band leader Joe DaCosta, who invites him to join his group on the road. Flip jumps at the chance. And that's when some of his most iconic characters 
are born, like Reverend Leroy. It's a send-up to the call and response theatrics of black church services. <laughs> a risky move, but Flip walks right up to the line without crossing it. Uh-huh. Then I got a shame on you for the whiskey. Shame on you for the whiskey. Yes. Then he opened the small box that he had under the pulpit. Uh-huh. That's where he kept the box uh-huh. because he didn't want nobody open it before it was ready. Uh-huh. Because it was not their box. Uh-huh. It's not your box. Mind your business. Yeah. Keep your hands off somebody else's box. Uh-huh. Reverend Leroy was this kind of, you know, preacher that's got a little bit of undertone of right on the cusp of being righteous and and the cusp of being the devil himself. It's like all of the shoe booty ass preachers of the day, he embodied them. I remember back then, they those televangelists, my mother would give them our rent money and they send back prayer cloths. He embodied the kind of praying, uh, not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y, aspect of religion, which is very interesting because black people had to believe in God back then. You couldn't question God back then. And he found a way to do it in a palatable way. In the 1950s, most mainstream clubs don't allow black patrons or performers. So Flip takes his act to the national network of the theaters and nightclubs for black audiences and entertainers, known as the Chitlin Circuit. Writer and musician Greg Tate. Chitlins are a southern black culinary delicacy made from the intestines of hogs. They say it's descended from the slave diet, you know, diet given to what was left over and given to enslaved black folks. History has shown in a lot of instances, black people weren't fed anything, you know, on these plantations or rarely, if at all. The Chitlin Circuit is where many black entertainers of the era first made their mark. So you might go see a show with Red Fox on the bill, but Charlie Parker might also be on the bill. We're really talking about the major kind of meccas for black entertainment that existed in all the major black cities. You know what I mean? But the constant travel and low pay takes its toll. In 1959, Flip heads to Miami, looking for a place to settle down. He gets a job as an MC at the Sir John Hotel. He also starts dating Lavinia Peaches' Patricia, a dancer he meets in the Bahamas. It's not long before Flip and Peaches tie the knot. Peaches and I both knew right away that our marriage was a big mistake. We fussed about any and everything. That's when you know it's not working. We fussed about my not liking to dance and her not wanting to quit dancing and move with me to Florida. Six months later, Flip is a single man again but not for long. Once he meets Blonell Pittman, a waitress at the Sir John. He and Blonell never marry, but on March 5th, 1960, she gives birth to their first child, David. But trying to build a career and a family at the same time isn't easy. Comedian, actor, and producer, Cedric the Entertainer. The reality of trying, you know, in this business of... of Maintaining success, gaining success, doing the the real work that's required. Because as you build a a brand as a comedian, you know, it's really the thing is that you have to be there. This is not like some, you know, like an arbitrary can of Coke that I can just spread out and sell everywhere. I have to actually show up and be places. 
you're doing whatever you got to do to handle what is what you know ultimately is for the benefit of your family. It can be daunting, but Flip is determined to succeed. Shortly after his son is born, he lands a deal with Imperial Records and releases his first album, Flipping. And the kid said, <laughs> said Mister. He said, my mother sent me to the store, <laughs> and I had $2, and there's 11 kids in our family, and all of us have to eat off that $2. <laughs> and on the way, a man stopped me and took a dollar of it. I said, kid, you, you say that a man stopped you and took a dollar of the money? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, gee, kid, didn't you yell for the police? You look like a pretty bright kid. Don't tell me you just stood there while the man snatched your money. I said, kid, you must have yelled. Didn't you yell, boy? He said, calm down, mister. I'm the one that lost the money. He said, yeah, I yelled. I said, well, how loud? How loud did you yell? Let me hear you yell. He said, please, please, please. I said, kid, you mean to tell me that you can't yell no louder than that? He said, no, sir. So I took the other dollar. In the 1960s, Flip continues to carve out his own path. He releases his second album in 1963, Flip Wilson's Potluck, live at the Village Gate. The gate is a hip jazz spot in New York's Greenwich Village. And in the early 60s, it's a favorite venue for big names like Lenny Bruce, Dick Gregory, Woody Allen, and Bill Cosby. It's also a place where top talent scouts come looking for comics to book on national TV. There had to have been a dozen talent bookers representing the TV networks when I played my first week. But nobody called. Theo Hughley said Flip craved the breakthrough success of other black comedians like Cosby and Gregory. His task was different than Gregory's and Cosby's because they had something to say. They were specific. They had specific beliefs, ideas, through lines, ways they did things. Flip Wilson found his way as being a great entertainer. I had a hard time finding the funny in subjects like King's nonviolence and Malcolm X's talk of white devils. It was simpler to stick to sex and drugs, and that's what most nightclub crowds thought were hipper anyway. Flip isn't afraid to tackle issues like race in his act, but handles it his own way. Now, I don't see any reason why uh, this album shouldn't be a hit. You know, it's going to be a hit. If it's not, it's not my fault. You know? In quite a few instances, when comedy albums are made, the managers suggest things like rigging an audience. I told my manager, I said, at any time that I feel that the audience is rigged, I'll walk off. But still, I know he rigged it. And there are riggers in the audience. That's right, riggers all over. When I came in, two riggers followed me in here. The guy on the door said he saw a whole carload of riggers pull up out front. The cook is a rigger. 
They got eight waiters here and two of them are riggers. See this guy? He's a rigger. Doesn't look like it, but he is. I could show you a lot of them, but I'm only going to show you that one. Because you see one rigger, you've seen them all. The audience may be flipping for flip, but he gets no love from the talent scouts. I don't know why they wouldn't take Philip Wilson along with the, all the other comedians that they were taking at the time. Actor and comedian Rolanda Watts. The late night talk shows is where you want to go to get your fame. That's the holy grail. That's the thing that's going to catapult you to success and continuity in your career and new opportunities. With Flip's focus more on his career than his family, he spends less and less time in Miami. I wired Blondell money from Atlanta, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York, but rarely phoned her. She knew I was tired of hearing her ask about marriage. One of these days, I always say, but I never bought a ring or set a date, even after she got pregnant again. Our second son was born in March 1962. We named him Kevin. And even when he's home, He's not really there. He starts to dabble in drugs, a problem that will only get worse as the years go on. She complained that I spent more time getting high than working. I said I was getting high and working. Anyway, lots of artists use drugs to unlock their creativity. Edgar Allan Poe, Van Gogh, Charlie Parker. Those guys were artists, not junkies. Blondell shot back. Last I heard, Charlie Parker's dead. Again, Cedric, the entertainer. One of the key things that I've come to understand about Flip was that idea of his heights made him, especially at that time, kind of alone. So I can imagine for someone in the 60s and the 70s, the amount of loneliness that you can feel when it seems like everything is going good, but you don't have anyone to celebrate it with. And so, you know, the struggles of self-medicating and finding ways to entertain yourself. And, you know, that was very customary back then. The drug usage was a big part of it, of the Hollywood scene. And then, of course, people would just find themselves going down dark rabbit holes. 1965 is a year of progress and turmoil in America. In February, Malcolm X is gunned down at Harlem's Audubon Ballroom. One month later... Martin Luther King Jr. leads a voting rights march from Montgomery to Selma, Alabama. And in August, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Voting Rights Act into law. Black comics are seizing the moment, bringing all the issues from the news into their material. But Flip resists the trend. He sees himself as a comic for everyone and refuses to let himself be pigeonholed as a Negro comedian. He starts to retool his material and build an act with universal appeal. But Flip needs the support of black audiences first. And there's no better place to start than the Apollo Theater. In Vegas recently, a guy came up after the show, and he told me about a millionaire who lived there in Vegas, who decided he wanted to give an unusual party for his friends. He called the party Night in the Everglades. From flattery, fluid, palm trees, tropical brush, he lines them around the pool. He flew in a Seminole Indian rock and roll band called Bow and the Arrows. (laughs) He 
He also flew in 20 alligators. He puts them in the pool. To impress his friend with how liberal he was, he invited his Negro gardener. Personally, I think you're being pretty damn liberal when you bring alligators. Flip wins over the tough Apollo crowd with his new, more broad brand of comedy. Editor-in-chief of the digital magazine Ambassador, Musa Jackson. Harlem is, you know, always going to be the black capital of artistry and, and just uh, culture. And so it was the stage where, you know, where, where stars are born and legends are made. And that's the one thing about the Apollo is that most of the legends that were at the Apollo, nobody was a copycat. Everybody brought their own style. And Flip Wilson was definitely one of those. But Flip still can't land that late-night TV spot he so desperately wants. Flip Wilson at the time, again, wanted to be like Johnny Carson. That was the goal for comedians back then. Imagine in the 60s wanting to do something that felt like it was designed for white males. Comedy historian Cliff Nesterhoff. At that stage in American television, the networks were exercising tokenism. They're now hiring some black acts, but not too many. Mostly, they were booking the established black acts, the Nat King Coles, the Sammy Davises. They weren't taking risks necessarily. To grab a network TV spot, Flip needs a big-time hookup. It finally comes when his friend Red Fox appears on The Tonight Show. Johnny asked him, who's the funniest comedian out right now? <laughs> Red doesn't hesitate. Flip Wilson. And just like that, Johnny books him. Red Fox gave Flip Wilson one lucky hand up. That was a, come on, man, come on with me. And that's the way we should always work in, in the community, in the tribe. Flip's new clean cut act is a hit with the Tonight Show audience. He pulls out all his best TV-friendly material, scoring big with a Christopher Columbus bit he used in his days on the Chitlin circuit. Of all the great American heroes, my idol is Christopher Columbus. What a great thing that was, discovering America. I wouldn't have found it. <laughs> Everybody thought Chris was off his cookie. Like the neighbors were teasing. They'd come by and lean over the fence. He'd be there in the yard, and they'd say, Christopher Columbus, what are you, what are you going to do when you grow up? And he'd say, I'm going to discover America. They'd say, you better cut that out. <laughs> he arranged an audience with the queen, Queen Isabel, Isabel Johnson. That was the queen's name. And she asked him about this America project, and Chris tells her, if I don't discover America, there's not going to be a Benjamin Franklin or a Star Spangled Banner in the land of the free and the home of the brave and no Ray Charles. <laughs> When the queen heard no Ray Charles, she panicked. The queen said, Ray Charles? You gonna find Ray Charles? He in America? Chris said, damn right, that's where all those records come from. <laughs> so the queen's running through the halls of the castle screaming, Chris gonna find Ray Charles. He gone to America on that boat. What'd you say? She wrote him out a traveler's check. Again. Here's Kevin Powell. It was subversive in a very clever way because he was really debunking the mythology of Columbus discovering America. And people laughed at it, not realizing that, wait a minute, this black man is now telling us what we should think about Christopher Columbus through comedy. 
But I also think it was because of comedy that people like him were able to slip these messages in about segregation, about racism, about history that made it digestible for mainstream America. That was Flip Wilson's genius. Flip would go on to appear on The Tonight Show many times and even fill in for Carlson as a guest host, actor and stand-up comedian Rolanda Watts. He appeared 59 times on The Tonight Show, hosting it four times. Now, that's, that's a pretty big deal if you're talking about the 60s, 70s era. That was a really big deal. But I think that Flip Wilson had such a big heart that he was able to, to use his craft and just cross humanity. I mean, funny is funny. I was coming in from Baltimore to do the show, and, well, I was on the train there, and I'm settling my seat. I'm very relaxed, very relaxed. And the first thought that passed through my mind was to familiarize myself with the surroundings. And I glanced across the aisle, and I noticed that the lady occupying the seat there had her baby with her. Ugly baby. <laughs> Bad-looking baby. Now, generally, I'd hesitate about passing an opinion about somebody's kid, but this was, even if I don't say it, it's an ugly baby. <laughs> I, I only took one quick look, like, like that, and I saw In from the front of the coach comes this guy, the guys, he's had a few. And as he approached the section where the woman was with the baby, he stops, and he stared, like that. <laughs> and the, woman, the woman's watching him. She's watching him from the corner of her eye. She says to him, what are you looking at? The guy says, I'm looking at that ugly baby. All of a sudden, Flip is showing up on every channel across the dial. All the biggest shows want to book him, like Mike Douglas, Ed Sullivan, Laughing, you name it. He also puts out a new album, Cowboys and Colored People. Mr. Flip Wilson! continues to walk the line when it comes to race. I'm taking a hell of a lot of liberty doing that. I might be banned from the movement. They might get equality for everybody but me. <laughs> I'd like to make my position on the racial situation very clear. I'd like everyone here to know that I like colored people. Really? You'd be surprised, but a color lady raised me. Yeah, some of my best friends are colored people. Cowboys and Colored People becomes Flip's first record to chart. It also earns him a Grammy nomination, but he loses to Bill Cosby and his album, Revenge. He was going to be against a guy who was one of the best that ever was at this thing with a microphone. Later on, I think when you look at the success of the Cosby show, I guarantee you, he learned a lot from watching Flip Wilson. Flip probably learned from watching Bill early on, but Bill definitely learned from Flip Wilson in his second incarnation. But Grammy or no Grammy, the album is a smash hit, and Atlantic Records is raking in cash. But Flip's not sure he's seeing his fair share. My manager, Monty Kay, began fielding new offers from TV and nightclub bookers. He was happy. I wasn't. I didn't like the split with the label. We should start our own label. Grab it while we can. Grab what, asked Monty. More. With Monty's help, I created my own label, Little David Records, subsidiary of Atlantic. Started out with two comedians, Flip Wilson and George Carlin. Flip's career is red hot, and he's spending more time on the road. 
compensate for his absence, he buys a new home in Miami for Blonell and the kids. But it doesn't help the relationship. Blonell suspects I'm looking to get on the road and cheat with road girls. In the late 60s, black entertainers are finally making real progress, kicking down door after door after door. And in 1968, Flip releases another album, Flip Wilson, You Devil You. I feel fine this evening. In fact, I feel so well, what I thought I'd do is let you in on my new policy. I have a new policy called Flip Wilson's new policy of being fair with the audience. Now, let me tell you what this is. Generally, when comics are getting underway, they open with their best stories. Then, once they've gained the audience's confidence, they drop the bomb. (laughs) The bad story. I feel the audience knows that every comic does bad stories. So why sneak them in on people? Why should the audience have to sit there and sweat out when the bomb's going to (laughs) fall? So it's my new policy to do my worst story first. Do it and get it the hell out of the way. Let the audience relax. The album earns Flip another Grammy nomination for Best Comedy Recording of the Year. And again, he loses to Bill Cosby. I said, cut that out, devil! Audiences can't seem to get enough of Flip Wilson, and NBC decides they want him all to themselves. They sign him to a five-year development deal, which includes an order for a one-hour special. The next year, NBC airs the Flip Wilson special. It's designed as a backdoor pilot. If it does well in the ratings, NBC will turn it into a weekly series. For the first time, Flip introduces the iconic character, Geraldine. I'm your stewardess, Geraldine. Geraldine Jones. J-O-N-E-S Jones, honey. The special is ratings gold, and NBC Green lights the series. The Flip Wilson Show. The Flip Wilson Show makes its debut on NBC in the fall of 1970. It's groundbreaking, revolutionary, but most of all, it's just plain funny. (laughs) Here's comedian Gottfried. Flip Wilson was one of the first African-Americans to have a variety show. You had Nat King Cole, who had his own show, because Nat King Cole was more of a singer, you know, more of a crooner. But Flip Wilson was a comedian. To have a network TV show, a black man lead that? That was a big deal. And now, here's Flip. Couldn't wait to get out of here. Let me tell you, got a good show tonight. We would crowd around the television watching. Again, Rolanda Watts. And our family would just say things like, the devil made me do it, or you devil. We just incorporated a lot of the things from that show right into life. They became part of the way we spoke to each other, the way we teased each other. He had such an influence on us all. He crossed over brilliantly. Comedian and producer David A. Arnold. He was up there by himself being funny, and then he would have people come on the show, and he would be funny with them. And he just had this thing about him that had a different feel than the other comedy that I had seen or that I was used to seeing as a kid. Now, of course, now looking back, I know what it was is that it was the ethnicity. It was he was black. He had an edge that you didn't see from 
Johnny Carson or from other white entertainers that were on TV. Not that they weren't not funny. It was just a different feel. The Flip Wilson Show quickly becomes must-see TV. And the hottest celebrities in Hollywood want in on the action. Flip Wilson always had some of the biggest stars of the time on the show. I mean, everybody from Aretha Franklin, Johnny Mathis, Ray Charles, the Jackson Five, Ella Fitzgerald, Lena Horne, all the great stars came through there. Paul Mooney's former record producer, Bill Stepney, remembers the show very well. Sammy Davis Jr. is coming on, and Bing Crosby is on there, and Phyllis Diller. And, you know, by the time Red Fox is coming on, and he's beginning Sanford and Son. He's like the absolute biggest star. But no matter who shows up, the biggest stars of the show are always Flip's own characters. <laughs> like the Reverend Leroy from the Church of What's Happening Now, a character he started performing on the Chitlin Circuit. Can I get an amen? Amen! amen. Truly wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen. <laughs> Friends, I have a very important announcement to make this evening. Mm-hmm. Since it's not a part of my sermon, I'd appreciate it if you listen. Yes. yes. What's going on, friends, is we've come to that time of the year when I must leave town for a while. Yes. yes. I want you to know. Yes. I'm going to Las Vegas because there's sin there. Yes. That's right. There's sin in Las Vegas. Yes. And I'm going to put a stop to it. Yes. If I can't stop it, at least I'm going to slow it down. Yes. runs rampant in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. I don't care how fast it runs, Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep up with it. But his most memorable character is born when Flip dares to put on a dress and a wig, introducing the world to the sassy, no-nonsense Geraldine Jones. The name is Miss Jones. Geraldine Jones. (laughs) How you do? I'm Joni. I'm sure. And let's get Geraldine's on a job interview with New York Jets quarterback, Joe Namath. Broadway Joe, playboy of the Western world. <laughs> Woo! Oh, ah, you've heard of me, huh? You must be a football fan. No, I'm not a football fan. I'm a man fan. <laughs> well, we have to make this a short interview, Geraldine. Geraldine? Who said you could call me Geraldine? <laughs> you don't know me. Ooh, you're a devil, ain't you? Geraldine was everybody's auntie. It was probably Flip's aunties that he grew up with that he watched sitting around playing cards, drinking liquor, and smoking with his mom. Geraldine was every black woman in the neighborhood that told everybody's business. She whooped your kids for you if you couldn't get to them. Some people get really mad when they see black men in particular dressed up as women for gags. And you didn't get mad at Flip because he was just so good. Geraldine was just so real, it wasn't like a man dressing up as a woman. It was Geraldine Jones. We knew her. Everybody knew Geraldine and loved her. Well, listen, do you have any references? References? I don't need any references. Well, have you had any experience in physical culture? Honey. (laughs) Honey, the only culture that I know about is physical. 
he was a vampy, not not a trampy, but a vampy woman. Like like she, he wasn't a loose woman, but he sure was a good time. <laughs> like like she, Geraldine show was a good time. And you remember Geraldine had this boyfriend killer who we never saw. That was the funny part, but you felt like you knew Killer because she came on talking about Killer. You know, sassy, amazing. You must not have heard about Killer. <laughs> killer? <laughs> Who's Killer? Who's Killer? Honey, he marched down the football field of my heart <laughs> and tore down the goalposts of my love. Friend, huh? That's right, honey. He's my number one draft choice. And the army's looking for him, too. Actor, model, and TV host RuPaul credits Geraldine as his inspiration for creating his hit show, Drag Race. I'd seen drag with Jonathan Winters and Milton Berle and all those people, but when Flip Wilson did it, something clicked. It, it elevated it to this really fun, fun place, because he was really celebrating this character in a way that I don't believe uh, men in drag had done before. He was doing it in a way that it wasn't misogynistic. It wasn't making fun of women. And it was re re really quite beautiful, actually. I mean, there's no Shanene for Martin Lawrence. There's no Tyler Perry, as far as I'm concerned. His Medea without Flip Wilson, you know. And I think if you ask these folks, they would say, yep, Flip Wilson and Geraldine had a huge impact on how they decided to portray the characters that they did. In 1971, The Flip Wilson Show is the number one variety show in the country. Macro Film Studio President James Lopez. Flip was safe. He wasn't doing anything controversial. He wasn't going to piss off the censors. He wasn't going to piss off the networks in the studio. And, you know, he was a brilliant comic, did great skits. The writing was great on the show. Determined to keep the show strong, Flip seeks out the best writers he can find, like two promising up-and-comers, George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Whenever you can, you know, lift someone up. Cedric the Entertainer says Flip always gave promising new talent their shot. You know, each one teach one, and my, my brother's keeper. All of these things are very important, and Flip was really great about that. So, you know, young comedians, people that, you know, were not necessarily even younger than him, but people that he loved and respected. You know, Richard Pryor, giving him opportunity to do stuff on his show, and then, you know, and Richard can spin off. So for Flip to have the kind of confidence in his own ability to be able to put guys like that on, to put them in situ situations to win, that's a very important part of this business. And the winner is... The Flip Wilson Show. <laughs> the Flip Wilson Show isn't just a hit with viewers. It also earns industry praise scoring two Emmys and a Golden Globe in 1971. Flip owns the show and reportedly earns $1 million a year. And finally, after two losses, he wins a Grammy for Best Comedy Album with The Devil Made Me Buy This Dress, beating out Bill Cosby. As Rolanda Watts puts it, Flip was on top of the world. 
Flip Wilson was loved by this nation, not just by black folks, but white folks, green folks, yellow folks, red folks. Everybody loved Flip Wilson. And he brought us together as a nation in laughter. And I don't think you could go anywhere back in the 70s and say the name Flip Wilson. Just say the name. And people would crack up laughing, remembering that sweet face of his and those hilarious moves and that little high-heeled walk of Geraldine. Flip's cultural impact becomes a force to be reckoned with. He even jumps from TV screens to toy store shelves. Here's Bill Stepney. On one side was Flip Wilson, and on the other side was the Geraldine character. And if you pulled the string, you know, all of uh, the catchphrases that Geraldine you know, had at the time, like, you know, the devil made me do it, you know, the, the doll would say. So yeah, here we are. Oh my, you know, we're five years after the assassination of Malcolm, two, three years after the assassination of Martin, and you can go into mainstream toy stores. You can go into the Macy's toy department and find a Flip Wilson doll. So that was striking. Flip's fame also gives him a chance to try and heal some old wounds. Flip had never forgiven his mother for abandoning him. But after 30 years apart, he reconnects with her. Nephew Rashawn Khan. When the Flip Wilson show finally hit, I remember my grandmother saying, we're going to watch the show because he was on television. And she was blown away by it. She really was. Flip's mother tells him that she left because his father was abusive towards her, something she didn't feel comfortable sharing at the time. And once he found out what really had happened, he came around his mother my grandmother, and he apologized, and, you know, and they did that, that healing process together, and I was able to witness that. It was something to see. Flip always shows the public a happy-go-lucky persona, but his fellow comics start seeing some troubling signs behind the scenes. Like then up-and-coming comic Paul Mooney and his friend Richard Pryor. Mooney talks about it in his memoir, Black is the New White. Flip comes to the candy store, and people fawn over him, the big star. Then he and Richard go out and score a blow. Richard works on Flip's show and Flip's snow at the same time. In 1972, the Flip Wilson show is the second most watched show on American TV. But a year later, it slips out of the top 20, eclipsed by the new edgy sitcoms like All in the Family and Red Fox's Sanford and Son. Legendary sitcom producer Norman Lear. The Ed Sullivan show that preceded all of these variety shows was a huge Sunday night hit, and it started to fade also. Then came Flip Wilson. I think it might be fair to say that variety just got stale for a little while. Flip's already changed the face of television forever. So what he does next is shocking. He exits the stage. I told Monty Kay I was a victim of my own success. I did what I set out to do. I'd made TV safe for black faces. I not only hosted a primetime variety show outdoing Nat Cole and Sammy Davis Jr. in that department, but vaulted my show to the top of the ratings at a time when three networks divided an audience of more than 100 million every night of the week. 
Along the way, I helped dozens of artists, black and white, who no longer needed help. I'd given jobs to Carlin and Pryor, and now the same suits who fretted about my ratings were talking about giving Pryor, haunted, hair-trigger, cokehead Richard Pryor, a show of his own. The network is desperate to keep Flip and offers him an astounding 12 to $15 million. But he still walks away. Mark Anthony Neal says the parallels to Dave Chappelle's shocking exit from his own show are eerie. Flip Wilson often talked about the fact that one of the reasons why he stepped away from the show is that, you know, Geraldine was overtaking him. It's almost Chappelle-like. When you hear Chappelle talk about how the Chappelle show was overtaking his life, those characters, the pixie in the specific case with Chappelle, was overtaking his sense of reality. I mean, Flip Wilson felt the same way about Geraldine. And what's remarkable about Flip Wilson's career is that he just largely walked away from it. Middle London thinks there were personal factors at play too. When you work as much as he worked, when you were on the road as much as he was on the road, you know, it, it's hard to have a family life. And at some point, you know, you see people all the time say, look, I gotta take a break. You know, and, and sometimes that break becomes permanent. Cedric the Entertainer understands that pressure well. He not only produces the hit CBS show, The Neighborhood, he's also the star. Being the lead of a show, the head hunt show in charge, the HNIC, if you will, it's a big responsibility. You carry the responsibility of that as well as for black people, we carry the whole responsibility of culture. You got to put on for the culture, as they say. So it's very important that I'm not out here doing anything that would be considered a sellout or Uncle Tomming or any of these kind of things. How do my shows, how does my sense of comedy, how am I handling my day-to-day that is for the empowerment and the betterment of our race and our culture and people to come and follow me in my footsteps. Pass with drugs catches up with him in 1981 when he's busted for cocaine possession. The high-profile arrest results in 7-Up dropping him from an ad campaign featuring the great Geraldine. Flip's nephew, Rashawn, was there when Flip got arrested. The cop on the driver's side kept saying, we're looking for large amounts. Can we look in the trunk? So Flip opened the car, the trunk. Nothing there. They looked in his bags very respectfully. Nothing there. Then they asked him again, are you bringing large quantities of drugs? Flip said, no, I'm not. I only have, he pulled out a container that had some hash oil in it, two ounces of hash oil and a gram of cocaine. He said, this is all I have. One of the cops said to him, oh, my wife loves you. Can I get a picture with you? And this was the day that... uh, that week that the 7-Up commercial had dropped. We had seen it on television. And the cops was taking pictures of Flip at the Culver City police station. And I told Flip, I said, they fucking with you, man. He's still thinking, yo, they just just wanted pictures. No, they got you under a wanted poster taking pictures of you. Macro Films president James Lopez says Flip felt caught between his comedy and his community. A few years back, someone had come to me with a Flip Wilson biopic idea, and I read some research material on it. And 
he was conflicted. You know, he felt like he was out there to entertain and make America happy. And, you know, there were some people in the black community that felt he was a sellout, that he wasn't talking about the issues, but that's not what his show was about. So I think he got a little bit frustrated by that. He did a lot for the civil rights movement behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about. And so I think he, he felt a little bit, not betrayed, but let down by his own community because of the criticism. On November 25, 1998, in Malibu, California, the man who united black and white audiences with laughter, inspired and paved the way for comedians of every race, and personified the American dream to so many in the black community, loses his battle with liver cancer at the age of 64. Flip Wilson should be definitely remembered as one of the great comedians, man, the great television stars on top of that. He was uh, a guy that, in, in my opinion, was before his time. He was magical on that on the screen. He was admirable, you know, in, in, in so many ways. His business acumen, his sense of style, his decorum with people, his ability to put other people on and give people a platform to, to shine and grow and do their thing. All of these kind of things are great examples of what you do when you got an opportunity. I think his legacy is, is rooted in his humanity. At a time when so much of the country, even the world saw us a specific way, he gave it another shade, another tone, a level of humanity, which means that we all, he gave us everybody something they could recognize in themselves. And that, to me, is the ultimate test of humanity. When I think about the great Flip Wilson, he personified, if you can see it, you can be it. To see someone like you on TV in that era was powerful, was motivating, especially young comedians like myself who always wanted to give to the audience. And that man gave to the audience on all levels, He did things that we only dreamed of. He planted seeds in our heads that it was possible. Woo, we thank you, Mr. Flip Wilson. Perhaps said, how come the devil's always making you do something for yourself? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? She said, I asked him about that. He said he did already. Devil said, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job. (laughs) 